MSW Media. This week, Paul Manafort, the former chair of Donald Trump's presidential campaign, pleaded guilty and agreed to flip and cooperate with special counsel Robert Mueller. This was a significant victory for Mueller after a hard-fought trial and conviction of Manafort in Virginia. It sends a clear signal that Mueller's investigation will not be over soon. What does this mean for Mueller's investigation and the Trump presidency? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor and a CNN legal analyst, and I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a comedian and WGN radio host who will join us regularly on our podcast. Hello. This is this is crazy time. I know that you were surprised. It seemed like a, a, many people were caught off guard by this announcement, weren't they? I was. You know, I was not surprised that Manafort was pleading guilty. I think um, that was the obvious thing for Manafort to do. Uh, he was facing just overwhelming evidence. But I was really surprised that he was cooperating and flipping. I did not see that coming. It was definitely a major turn in strategy for him uh, up until uh, Friday that really seemed to me um, like, uh, you know, he seemed to me like he had a strategy where he was angling for a pardon. Uh, and then suddenly out of nowhere, wow, he's flipping. That was that was big news. And who decides to make that announcement? Who makes that public that he's made that agreement? <clears throat> so in in the criminal case that Manafort had in, in the Washington, D.C., he had two cases, one in Virginia. He went to trial and he lost on eight counts, was convicted in the D.C. case that was coming up for trial. And there he pleaded guilty. And part of that that plea of guilty was the, a plea agreement. The plea agreement was made public. The, the, the uh, revised charges were made public. And in that plea agreement, it sets forth uh, his cooperation and all of the details regarding that cooperation. So what do you know about those details? Because I have not read the agreement. I, I'm getting the feeling that you have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I, I'm guessing you've gone over it a couple of times. Uh, yes, I have. So um, one important thing that is set forth in the agreement is that Paul Manafort, uh, first of all, is going to be cooperating with Robert Mueller on any and all matters. So he is, um, you know, not he's not limited to cooperating against one person or one entity or one subject matter. You know, if he's asked questions about Roger Stone or about Donald Trump Jr. or about the president, he's got to answer those questions. And he's got to offer a cooperation um, to any com- you know component of the Justice Department. That includes the um, prosecutors in New York who have been investigating not only Michael Cohen, but others uh, who are involved in the Trump Organization, uh, state prosecutors uh, potentially, et cetera. So that's obviously a big component of it. But another thing that the um, agreement, uh, you know, contemplated was, first of all, a lot of uh, f- what's called forfeitures. So there's, I think, it was a $46 million worth of uh, property was forfeited. A lot of discussion of that because, of course, Donald Trump has complained about the cost of the Mueller investigation. Here's something. It's, it's actually a money-making venture. 
um, right now. And then we also saw some of the benefits that 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 uh, Manafort w- w- was getting in exchange for his cooperation. And what are those benefits? How does this help him to make this deal right now? So um, one important benefit is that in the Washington, D.C. case, Manafort is essentially capped at 10 years. So he is looking his guidelines range. So the in a federal criminal case, there's something called the federal sentencing guidelines. They're not mandatory that they're what's called it. They're advisory. So the judge can look at them as guidelines, but they don't they don't they don't represent a, a, a handcuff on the judge in terms okay. of what he or she would do. But his his guidelines were well over 200 months, uh, 240 or something like that. So he was looking at a very significant reduction by capping it at 10 uh, years, which is 120 months. And, you know, what what that means is, you know, he still has the Virginia case. He still could be sentenced separately there. But the prosecutors um, agreed to ask for the sentences to run concurrently, in other words, to run together. So potentially he could only get... 10 years in prison. He could even get less if his cooperation is really fantastic. Um, and what they agreed to do is, of course, as part of any cooperation deal, to let the judge know about the extent of his cooperation, to recommend that she go down below the sentencing guideline range. Um, and he's free to argue for any sentence he wants. He can argue for zero months that he gets probation or time served. This is incredible. And I have to say, uh, I'm guessing that you, as a former federal prosecutor, have a sense I would imagine, at least, uh, the direction that this is going now that he has flipped. Where do you think the, you know, what do you think Mueller might have, or or do you have a feeling about that? Well, that's a great question. So one thing that we do know for sure is that Manafort um, got this plea agreement because he had already given Mueller all of the information that he knew. Usually that that, uh, is done by the attorney for Mueller, or excuse me, for Manafort, uh, summarizing what he expects that Manafort would say uh, in uh, you know a letter or conversations with Mueller's team and say, here's all the information my client could give you. Um, and then Mueller and his team would look that over and, and determine whether or not that was valuable enough. If they thought that that would be valuable, then Manafort would be brought in and he would have conversations with Mueller's team and discuss everything he knew. All that would happen before the agreement. So we know that based on all those conversations, that Mueller's team believed that they were getting something significant from Manafort that would enable them to either make a case against somebody that they would not have otherwise been able to make a case on or to significantly improve their chances in a case that they already could have made. And so we don't know who that is. It could be Roger Stone or Donald Trump Jr. or, you know, uh, these, for example, you know, there has been some talk uh, now that there was reporting actually by CNN that um, the former White House counsel for President Obama, Gregory Craig, is a partner at Skadden Arps. And now they are under investigation by Mueller because they were involved in this uh, work that Manafort was doing for a Russian oligarch. So, you know, he could be cooperating against them. But but the, the point is, you know, that is what... It gets him over the bar in terms of getting a deal, but he still has to tell Mueller everything he knows about everyone else. So in other words, if he's getting the deal to cooperate against Roger Stone, that's great. Uh, but that still means that if he's called to testify against Trump or Trump Jr. or anyone else or Gregory Craig or Skadden Arps or whoever, he has to provide that testimony. He has to go to court and testify. And, you know, down the line, you know, he could ultimately get credit for making multiple cases if, in fact, that ends up happening. Is there ever a moment where a prosecutor 
comes out with this, this kind of an announcement, get someone to agree to flip in order to shake some other people loose to make them worry about where they are in this investigation? Well, it's never, I think, the necessarily the, the main thing that the prosecutor is trying to accomplish. You would never enter a deal like this unless mm-hmm. you, you were getting, some, you know, what I just suggested out of the deal. You're actually, significant. Yeah, it's actually something called substantial assistance. I'll put that in Ooh. air quotes. Uh-huh. It, it means something under the federal sentencing guidelines. So he essentially he'd be making, Mueller's made that determination that he believes that Manafort would, could provide that. But, yeah, it does have an effect on others. And it sends a signal to everyone else in the case that, you know, if you, you know, here he had a man, you know, Manafort on the day he was indicted, his attorneys came out and attacked Mueller. And Manafort uh, has had a very aggressive strategy, you know, fighting Mueller's team, challenging Mueller's authority, um, all sorts of motions. He went to trial. Um, He's agreed, by the way, it's part of this plea plea agreement, not to appeal his guilty convictions, not to challenge anything about what happened in that trial. You know, now he's laying down uh, and that's telling everyone else in the case that this is what happens when you fight Robert Mueller. You go to prison for a long time anyway. And there's no question he's getting a far worse deal now than he would have gotten on day one. And from the beginning, uh, President Trump has been saying that Manafort is being mistreated. And, and Mueller is being mean to him and even, uh, you know, even uh, organized crime, you know, <laughs> you know, mob leaders aren't treated like this. He even didn't even say like uh, Capone. Yeah. He alluded to that. Uh, I was really shocked that it took more than a day for the president to freak tweet about this, by the way, that he is saying that Mueller is conflicted. I've never seen Mueller. Have you seen pictures of Mueller ever looking conflicted? He seems pretty straightforward and and determined, (laughs) don't you think? I would say so. And I think it's very interesting. Yeah, we are not. We're seeing Trump focus on the hurricane, not focus on this news. It'll be interesting to see if that continues. Uh, I think that, um, you know, he, he must be concerned. I would be concerned if I was him. You know, this is the former chair of his campaign, somebody who had close uh, interactions and proximity to him, reported directly to him, obviously, at it's, it's some point. And don't forget, Paul Manafort was part of that Trump Tower meeting with his son. Um, it's it's not a positive development. And in fact, there was an initial statement put out in, by the White House on the, the day that Manafort uh, flipped that said, um, Manafort, that the president did nothing wrong and that Paul Manafort will tell the truth about that. And they then revised that statement. And they came out later with a statement that just said the president did nothing wrong. And I think it's a tacit admission by the White House that they may have to go negative on Manafort, even though uh, Trump had been praising him as standing strong, not buckling in, not a rat. His poor family, uh, yes. his suffering. And everything. so on so, uh, now he's going to be under the crosshairs potentially because he is you know, likely going to be a witness against somebody that Trump cared about. Maybe, maybe not, but very likely, I would say at this point. Uh, and they have to be prepared for that possibility. And of course, uh, his attorney, the president's attorney, Giuliani, is saying, see, there's no collusion, though. This is not about, this is not about collusion. Well, no, is anyone saying it is? This is about corruption. Right. Put it any way you want. You know, you paint a cat. It's still a cat. I don't know why I said that, but it seemed to make sense at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you know, one thing that I think it's important to dispel is there has been this rumor that uh, Giuliani's been putting out there. And then there was some unnamed source that was familiar with the defense of Manafort that was telling NPR and Politico off the record that 
uh, Manafort does not co- is not going to cooperate against the Trump campaign. And just to be crystal clear to everyone listening, the plea agreement says otherwise. Paul Manafort said, you know, to the judge and represented to the judge that this was the agreement right here that said any and all he's going to cooperate on any and all matters. And he represented to the judge uh, under oath that there was no other agreement. There's no side deal where he doesn't have to cooperate against the Trump campaign. So. Um, you know, that is a false uh, statement that's being put out, um, not only by these unnamed sources, which may very well be Giuliani, but also Giuliani is quoting those. He was talking about that on Twitter, and that is false. Uh, so it's important, I think, important to clear that up. I, you know, when I when I was thinking about this, when this news broke, I was thinking, who would be a great person to talk to? Uh, and I, you know, although I used to be uh, on MSNBC fairly often, I'm on CNN now, and I thought a great person would be um, my counterpart in MSNBC, uh, Joyce Vance. Oh, and yeah, your competitor. There you go. Like well, it. it's not, I view her in many ways as a colleague in terms of explaining to the public what is going on. So I think there's a real value uh, in getting her perspective. She's a great explainer uh, and is going to offer kind of a different view. So let's bring in Joyce Vance. Joyce is the former United States attorney for the Northern District of Alabama. And she's also a current NBC News and MSNBC legal analyst, as I mentioned a moment ago. Welcome to the show, Joyce. Thank you for being here with us. Oh, thanks, y'all, for having me. So, Joyce, were you as surprised by the the fact that a Manafort flipped as I was? I was very surprised. I thought that there was an outside chance he would plead. Did not think that he would conclude a cooperation deal with the government. Yeah, it seemed to me like he was on. You know, he was fighting Mueller every step of the way. Uh, he had obviously went to trial. He had challenged Mueller's authority. His his legal team had attacked Mueller. Uh, it did not seem like somebody who was getting ready to flip. So definitely a a big turn. Do you have any speculation as to why that might be? You know, I guess a lot of potential reasons. I had always thought that Manafort would not flip because there was something that he feared more than going to prison. And so for whatever reason, it seems like he became convinced over time that the best place for him to be was aligned with Mueller, aligned with the Justice Department. That sounds awfully ominous. Fear something more than prison? You know, I don't mean it in the ominous sense. I mean, people have speculated that Manafort had concerns because of his ties to Russia. I think he could have just been so involved in criminality on a number of different fronts that he didn't feel like it was possible to come clean on all of them. And, of course, we know for him to have this kind of a deal with, with Mueller, he would have to agree to tell the truth about everything prosecutors want to talk to him about. He only gets immunity from crimes he's disclosed to them. So this is really that point in his life where he has to put it all on the line and be truthful about what he's been doing for the last decade or however long he's been doing this. Very interesting point, yes. and I could not agree more. I think that's a great, that's an interesting way of, of looking at it. Well, because I don't think people realize, I mean, maybe they, they got an idea from the court case where he was found guilty on, what, nine charges? That, I mean, how right. how much he massively profited from being a political operative for a pro-Russia Ukrainian, uh, you know, politician. I don't think people get that and how, just how sinister that really was. 
It's really a lot like a mafia prosecution. You know, I'm sure um, Renato's probably done mafia cases. We have Dixie Mafia down in Alabama. (laughs) And when you do those prosecutions, there's all sorts of criminality involved. They're selling drugs. They're engaged in, you know, some kind of a bank fraud or, or mortgage fraud. And then everybody's freelancing on the side doing their own deals. So when you actually sit down and start flipping witnesses, they have a lot to talk to you about. And it can be a very complicated dance. So, Joyce, one of the big questions that uh, folks were asking uh, both of us on Twitter when I mentioned that we're doing this podcast is, what happens if Manafort is pardoned? How, how did, what, what is, what's the fallout uh, to this uh, plea deal if that happens? So first, I think I would say, and I'll be interested to see if you agree with me, I can't believe that Manafort would have concluded this agreement without having a conversation with prosecutors about this entire idea of having pardons dangled. It also seems likely to me that prosecutors would want to know if there had been any conversations. Uh, perhaps this could be viewed as as a component of the obstruction of justice case prosecutors seem to be investigating. So I think that there's that piece of it. You know, could Manafort accept a pardon down the road? Let's say that his cooperation is complete and he goes to prison. And I suppose President Trump on the way out the door as he leaves office, whenever that is, could pardon Manafort. Presidents often will issue a series of pardons on their last day or two in office. The more ominous scenario is the one where the president decides to pardon Manafort as a way of short-circuiting his cooperation with Mueller. So I, I guess that's what we should focus on, right? I think that's absolutely right. You know, as I agree with you, first of all, I think that that conversation certainly happened. And one topic I'll want to cover later is this idea of a joint defense agreement. And I do want to point out, and I'm, I imagine you agree with me, that the 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 conver- a conversation about dangling a pardon would not be covered by a joint defense agreement. Right. 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 Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of questions about that. Um, but, you know, I think the, definitely the, the concern folks have is what happens if um, Trump pardons Manafort tomorrow. I, I don't know why you would do that, uh, given, you know, you don't usually want to reward people who just flipped on you. Um, but if that did happen, it would seem to me that, first of all, I am, I assume, the, and I, or I would presume if every, if this is occurring like any other cooperation, that Manafort has certainly provided statements to um, investigators, including, you know, FBI, with FBI agents present, um, regarding everything that he knows by now. I would assume he came in for proffer sessions. And then in addition, I would also presume potentially that Mueller may have even drafted a grand jury statement. Uh, I don't know whether he's put it into the grand jury yet, but I imagine that that might happen uh, before um, before uh, a pardon came down. And then if, if that happened, then, you know, you know, uh, Mueller could put Manafort on the stand. Man- Manafort wouldn't be able to take the fifth, although there might be some issues relating to state prosecu- uh, state criminal liability. But in any event, Mueller could then use those prior statements to impeach him. Yeah, I think it's a really complicated scenario. It's hard to know how it would play out. I agree. I think you're absolutely right that they'll put Ma- – th- if it was me, I would put Manafort in front of the grand jury – and lock him in. You know, we don't usually do that with cooperating witnesses, but we also don't usually have the specter of pardon hanging over our heads. So I think that that's something that I would contemplate doing here um, for starters, to make sure he's locked in and that that can be used. And then there's this idea of 
whether and how a pardon interplays with his Fifth Amendment rights, uh, I've always thought that as long as there is some risk that state charges could be filed against him, that he would always have the ability to assert the Fifth Amendment right in the grand jury. I assume that Mueller's team has also thought about that, and perhaps there are some agreements in place. Perhaps there's potentially immunity that would be offered to ensure that he was available uh, to testify if they wanted him to be available. So, I, yeah, I think, Joyce, I think it's it's a very thorny situation. And what I, I think is important for listeners to know and to get a sense of from our conversation is just it's complicated. If somebody's telling you that oh, a pardon is not going to have an impact on this uh, on, on this case, that's not necessarily true. I wouldn't uh, take that. I think you uh, what listeners can get a sense of just from the way you and I are talking about it is it's complicated. There'd be a lot of moving parts uh, and it would certainly mm-hmm. have an impact, but it would not mean that um, Manafort's cooperation would necessarily be derailed. I think that's right, and I think sometimes we have to accept that the answer is we just don't know. We have to watch how the next couple of steps play out because everything will change depending on timing and how things happen and whether or not Manafort has really gotten religion and decided he wants to play for Team Mueller. I mean, it it may be that he's had some sort of a conversion And it may be that he's lukewarm and just doing it to get out of trouble. We don't know the answer to that yet. Well, one one other question I've gotten a number of times is what happens to the asset forfeiture if he's pardoned? And I'm curious as to what your answer is on that, because I've tried to answer that the best I can. So I think the president's pardon power extends to fees and fines. I think that he could specifically include them in a pardon. I would be willing to take the position and and litigate the issue that if the pardon did not extend to that, that I was still entitled to forfeit the assets. There's, without getting too hyper-technical, of course, there's administrative or civil asset forfeiture. I don't know if those are available in this case. I haven't studied the asset forfeiture closely enough to, to determine it, but I would force Manafort in court to ask for his assets back if it came down to that. That's exactly right. I mean, I think as a practical matter, between potential administrative and civil forfeiture, and also there's restitution. So just so everyone understands what we're talking about, administrative and civil forfeiture are just different ways. Forfeiture is a way that the federal government takes property or money that has been derived from a criminal activity or used in the criminal activity. There's different ways to do that. What we What's happened in the Manafort case is what's called criminal forfeiture. There's other types. But there's also something called restitution. And I would imagine here, uh, Joyce, that there's I'm pretty sure there's man, there's been mandatory restitution ordered for whatever the tax fraud was, for example. So I, I imagine that some of these assets would potentially be used for restitution purposes, right? I think that that's right. And so there are a lot of different ways to skin the cat here. Uh, Trump would have to be very thorough in issuing the pardon to foreclose all of them. So uh, I think one subject I want to turn towards now, and it's uh, it's a slightly complicated subject, but I think it's become important in recent days, is this idea of a joint defense agreement, which I mentioned before, which I'll try to explain, and you can certainly clarify if I'm missing something. Uh, But essentially, it's a way for uh, different defense teams of lawyers uh, in the same case, in the same investigation or or criminal proceeding to maintain some level of privilege over their strategy conversations with one another. 
Uh, and uh, though sometimes they're formal and written down, sometimes they're informal. But when you have the same common interest, uh, the, the idea is courts say that that's an exception to the general rule that when, it, when opposing attorneys are talking to each other, they lose their privilege. Is that a fair way of explaining it? Yeah, you know, so my background is only as a prosecutor. I've never been on the defense side, so I may have a little bit more of an, uh, a different view about joint defense agreements than folks who've used them. But I've always conceptualized it as a way of expanding attorney-client privilege, which typically applies only between the client and his or her attorneys, now saying, okay, if you've got three, four, five defendants who are being investigated together, they and all of their attorneys can, in essence, expand the bubble of attorney-client privilege to cover all of them so that if they're having conversations that would otherwise be attorney-client privileged, they are covered for the group. What do you think? Does that work? I think that makes that may, that's another way of looking at it, and I, I think we're kind of arriving at the same same point. I, I think the reason that I want to, the reason I'm giving that um, that background is so folks understand a couple questions that have come up recently. So one question that has been asked a lot online is whether or not Manafort's team can reveal conversations they had with Trump's team prior to him flipping. And the, I did some legal research on it. It's not very clear. There are not a lot of cases on it. It seemed to me like t that they could not, um, unless Trump's team consented, if the, if, the, if the conversations were with Trump's team or concerned Trump. But obviously there might be exceptions like crime fraud, which is narrower mm -hmm. than people think. Uh, but when there's something involving the carrying forward of a crime, um, in, that would potentially be an exception. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think the first question is, is there a written formal joint defense agreement? I would assume that in this situation there is one, and so the extent of the coverage would be governed by the terms of that agreement. And then, as you point out, the only conversations that would be covered would be those that would fall within the scope of the privilege. Just because you have a joint defense agreement, you know, if lawyer A walks into lawyer B and says, you know, our clients robbed a bank together, well, that's not going to be covered. That's the easy case. And then you have to decide just how far the crime fraud exclusion would operate. You know, would it cover conversations about a pardon? It might, it might not. It would be very specific. Okay, so wait. So just for, because I'm not, I don't have a legal mind, uh, I'm just curious. So if he did share something that was part of that, that, that violates the agreement, how, would the, how could that affect Mueller's investigation if, if Trump's team is like, hey, he wasn't supposed to give you that information? Enid, that's a good question. It would have to be litigated. I think it would turn on the specific facts. I don't know. Renato, do you think would they use some form of a taint team to have these conversations? I just don't know precisely how that would play out here. I think that would be wise. And what, what uh, Joyce is referring to by taint team is essentially a separate team of lawyers who are work at the Justice Department, who are separate and apart from Mueller's team, who don't know any of the facts of what Mueller's doing and are not com in communication with them, who would look at us at us, for example, a particular conversation and would determine whether or not joint defense uh, might apply based on the terms of the agreement and on the the law, because the agreement can't go further than the, what the law of common interest uh, privilege would be, uh, and then they would make a determination over whether this is something that could go to Mueller team or not um, I think that's an interesting question and you know I want that brings me to one other point you know there's been some disinformation 
that has been coming out from uh, Giuliani recently. And one, I think. No way. <laughs> you're, you're, really? Yeah. That's so surprising. Right. Well, one, one, one doozy that came out uh, today was he said that Manafort cannot cooperate against Trump because there is an existing and continuing joint defense agreement between them. And I'm curious. I gave my perspective on Twitter. I'm curious what yours is, Joyce. Yeah, um, I feel like I've said the same words over and over a lot lately, but my thought is that Rudy's wrong. <laughs> That's pretty pure and simple. Yeah, I mean, what I, I said online is that either he's, you know, either he's lying to people or he's incompetent uh, because there's really that that's the way I would put it I mean the joint defense agreement delusional in there no well okay I would just say you know a joint defense agreement is between two people who are in the same side who have a, what's called a common interest that's what the that's the kind of the legal term for the the privilege there um, there's no uh, no way on earth that at this point Trump's team could think that Manafort's on the same side as Trump in this investigation he is obligated to cooperate against Trump if that is what if Mueller asks and you know certainly he would have some information to provide about Trump, even if it's just background about the campaign. So uh, and, and obviously it would not cover facts uh, at all. Uh, so uh, in any event, right. I, I mean, absolutely. There's this whole hmm. concept that when your interests diverge, you have to give notice to other members of the joint defense agreement that you're withdrawing. I'm not sure where Giuliani gets this idea that you can't withdraw from the joint defense agreement. There might be some restriction on some legal issues, some some attorney-client privileged matters you can talk about, but facts, those are certainly fair game. Absolutely, and and uh, I would say too, if they forgot to give the notice, uh, it really doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean, there's certainly there's no question at this point. Uh, Trump, after reading the headlines, is on notice that Manafort's not on the same side. I, I would have a lot of trouble uh, thinking that a judge would conclude that Trump's team really thought they were on the same side as Manafort because they didn't get notice at this point. Well, you know, but I, I feel sure that one of the things that you and I both know about the way that Mueller and the prosecutors that he's got on board operate is that these are careful people. These aren't people who make novice mistakes. And so I feel certain that at every step, they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's. And of course, we don't hear from them. We hear a lot from Rudy Giuliani, who's running this public relations strategy that's designed to tarnish Mueller's image, really, with the public. We know the kind of prosecutors that Mueller has on his team. They're careful people. They're detail-oriented. I feel certain that what we'll find out is that they've done everything right all the way along. You know, we only hear Giuliani and the Trump side talking about what they perceive as problems with how Mueller operates. We don't hear from Mueller. He doesn't take to the podium to defend himself from whatever the complaint du jour is. But I feel confident that these are ethical prosecutors who are doing everything right. And I think that uh, with Giuliani and Trump, you know, running to Twitter every time they want to shape the message, they again they use the word collusion. I think Giuliani used it today. See, there's no collusion, and that isn't what this is about. This is about corruption, and and I think the people, you know, they they're like, oh, see, they weren't colluding. Well, colluding isn't a crime. That's not what they're going after, is it? Well, you know, I think it's always very dangerous to get up after the second inning of a baseball game and leave um, because the home team is up by 10 and and the visiting team doesn't have any hits. I mean, you never know what's going to happen in the remaining innings. So I'm never very persuaded by someone who says, well, there's no collusion that's been proven or whatever you want to call it, conspiracy. 
What we have seen so far is Mueller lining everything up in the first two Russia indictments, and he's not done yet. The point at which we will be able to evaluate whether there was collusion, conspiracy, or any other criminal conduct is when Mueller closes up shop and says he's done. There you go. Can I can I ask this question from a, one of your followers sure. on Twitter? So this is from John Dalton. He says, in his opinion, as in IMHO, Manafort's knowledge of Trump's crimes goes back decades. In testimony or evidence about crimes for which the statute of limitations has expired, still relevant if, for instance, it establishes an illicit relationship between Trump and, say, Russian oligarchs? Well, so first off, the statute of limitations for conspiracy goes back further because the way conspiracy works, the statute runs from the last overt act. So if there's this long, ongoing conspiracy, we don't know that, but let's assume for the sake of argument that something like that exists, then there would be no statute of limitations um, problem. But I suspect prosecutors will be interested in hearing if Manafort does have historical knowledge. It might explain financial transactions. It might explain relationships and allegiances. So there's no reason that they wouldn't want to explore that entire history while they're trying to evaluate whether there are any charges that should be brought. And also, uh, I would also say, too, Joyce, that 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 uh, testimony for Manafort can be relevant to show, for example, someone's intent or knowledge, even if it doesn't prove a crime in and of itself. It can be relevant as to, for example, Trump's knowledge uh, that might be uh, helpful to proving a, a crime that's more recent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, certainly not limited to Trump. I think you're exactly right about this. There's a wide range of conduct and and prosecutors, you know, people wonder how we operate. What we don't do is say, let's go prove a case against Trump or Trump Jr. What prosecutors do is say, we need to engage in a truth-finding mission. Let's find out what happened here. Let's evaluate if there were any crimes. If there were any crimes, let's see what the evidence is about who committed uh, those crimes. And they take it that way. So Manafort doesn't have to prove, quote-unquote, crimes. Manafort may have information that helps to establish, as, as you say, motive, intent, opportunity, or perhaps establishes entire crimes. Prosecutors just want to get to the truth of the matter. So, uh, Joyce, what do, what do you think, based upon what you know, that, that Manafort might be able to provide Robert Mueller? I think that there are a couple of specific incidents that Mueller will be very interested in Manafort's knowledge of. One, of course, will be the Trump Tower meeting. Manafort was a participant. Another will be what happened at the Republican convention in 2016, where the Republican Party platform on Ukraine was changed while Manafort was running the campaign. Those seem to me to be two really bright-line events that prosecutors will want to know about. And then there's this really interesting situation where the day Manafort is leaving the campaign, he's forming an LLC, and subsequently he receives a lot of loans from banks that are linked to the Trump organization. So that, I think, will be something else of interest. Um, And any number of other incidents, right? There's a Mm -hmm. long-time relationship between the two a lot of conversations. Manafort may have been around in the office, on the phone, had the opportunity to observe a lot of incidents and information that prosecutors are interested in. So what, what do you see coming ahead and what do you think people should expect in the weeks to come? I think that um, 
my crystal ball is never quite as clear as I wish it was in this regard. But one thing that we've learned is that what's right in front of the public, what we know that the Mueller investigation is looking at, is not always the whole enchilada. They're doing a lot of other work, and so they've periodically surprised us with indictments or with individuals who've come to the forefront. You know, Roger Stone is certainly waving his hand and and running as hard as anybody ever could to be the next indictment that the Mueller investigation will, will bring. That seems a little bit strange, but Stone is clearly waving his hand and saying, pick me. And it seems likely that he may have some exposure along with other folks. But I also go back to these two sort of parallel indictments in which Russian operatives are named. One is this sort of Internet troll, Internet efforts to influence opinion indictment. And then one is the hacking indictment. And they seem to go right up to the line of Russian involvement without naming any American citizens who are involved. I think at some point we're going to see the Mueller team take that additional step and bring those indictments forward to include American participants if they determine that there were any. Wow, that would be quite a step. You would see uh, potentially Russians and Americans uh, in the same indictment, uh, potentially committing those crimes together. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's that term collusion uh, that's used a lot. Uh, it would be very hard at that point, I think, for people to argue that there's no such thing. Yeah, I mean, and that seems to be where we're headed, right? Nothing is a sure thing, but there's just so much smoke around this and so much indication that at some level there was collusion, whether it rises to the level of being a crime or is simply a matter for impeachment. There's an awful lot of smoke. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Joyce. You this is excellent. such a pleasure. Yeah. You guys are so nice to have me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. 